0: Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Jana. My name's Evan. I'm the pastor down here, if I don't know you. It's something that we're going to be doing every single week is praying for each other. You know, it's such a crucial part of the Bible. The Bible states it's such a crucial part of community to lift each other up in prayer. It's not just to come together and sit by idly close to one another while we sing songs and learn and then dismiss out. But we have this opportunity every single week to come together and to do so many different things one of which is now going to be praying for each other. You know, in Hebrews 4.16, it says, boldly approach the throne of grace in every time of need. So it's like, why not do that for each other? If you want to be prayed for, contact me. Otherwise, I'm just going to be picking you guys out, one family at a time. It's a major part of why we're here. You know, another major part of why we're here is to serve people outside of these walls. And our location is prime for reaching out people that are kind of in hard spots. And so Derek... the admin pastor, admin associate, whatever, down here. He came up with an idea called blessing bags. And so what we're going to do is collect a bunch of essential items. And so that's like makeup, remover, hygiene products, water, granola bars, band-aids, right? Just on and on. Socks, things that people that are roaming the streets may need. We're going to collect as many as we can down here, and then we're going to congregate together to put them into bags, so that way, each of us can take three or four bags, put it in the back of your car. If you happen to cross somebody that's in need, you have it right there. We'll have them down here at the church so if people come in. Right, we're called to do more than just show up once a week. Right, we're called to bring our light that we got from God into this world. So if you've got questions about that, let me know. When Derek's back from camping next week, he'll kind of let you know more of the details. The third thing that I want to mention, and this is kind of a bigger one, we've been telling you this for a little while now July 4th is on a Saturday so we're going to meet up on Sunday morning July 5th at 10am but this is going to be the beginning of a new time for Rimrock downtown. From there on out we're going to be meeting Sunday mornings at 10am for July and August right. How many of you enjoy the Black Hills on Saturday afternoon and evenings? Right. So that's part of our thought the other thought, we've been thinking about this for a long time, it just makes more sense to meet up early mornings right, on a day that's not quite as busy. And the biggest thing that's causing us to do this, majority of the Rimrock downtowners are MIA. And so why not try something new? Right? Less people to complain and fuss, so it's like, shoot, <laughs> let's just see how this goes the next two months, and we'll reevaluate uh, come September. I know it's interesting, but... It's like, why not? Let's just check it out and see how it goes. Great. All right. For me, hopefully for you, I need to take a moment just to still my mind, um, remind myself why I'm here through prayer. God, I am yours, and I want to hear from you. I want to be used by you. So please, Spirit, do what you got to do. Satan, I stand against you right now. You have no place in this building. In the name of Jesus, I command that you be gone. This is God's house. We have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You have no place here. God, whatever you want, let it happen. All right. You guys ready? So, my hope is that you walk away with one thing tonight. Just one thing. One thing to consider and ponder throughout the week. It could be a verse. It could be a line. It could be a, a random thought that happens to pop into your head that has nothing to do with my sermon. But one thing. Just one thing. All right. So, we're a few weeks into a series that we've entitled We Are They. During this summer, we're going to be looking through the first seven chapters of Acts at the way that God used ordinary men and women to establish his church. Now, there's two major premises that I hope we walk away with. First, we are they. In so many ways, we are just like Peter, James, John, and the rest of the crew. We are custom-built by our Creator and placed in a certain time and place. Now, I know we all have flaws, but we also have so many strengths. Specific things that we bring to the table that no one else does. Through the precise way that we have been made, God wants to use us right now to bring his kingdom into this world. You know, instead of thinking and operating out of the belief that the responsibility of being an ambassador of Jesus falls into the hands of the elite, We must always remind ourselves that we are each called and capable to be witnesses of Jesus. That's what we read about in Acts 1. We are called to be a witness of Christ. But in Acts 1, we also saw the second major premise that we must hang on to as we live these lives. We have to have the Spirit. Everything that an ambassador does, Right? fighting against the darkness of this world and bringing light must be through the Holy Spirit. That's what we see in Acts 1, 4, and 5. While staying with them, this is Jesus, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but told them to wait there for the, power of the, the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He's like, don't do anything. Don't go be witnesses until you receive the Spirit. You know, Boomer spent a decent amount of time looking at this last week. The Spirit is a crucial ingredient in fighting back against the evil and the heartache that are an innate part of our lives. Like Boomer pointed out last week, the Spirit is mentioned 40 times in the first 13 chapters of Acts. He is definitely the main character And he is the reason why the church was able to flourish in such a hostile environment. So you're going to hear these two premises over and over, week after week. Please keep bringing your minds back to the fact that we are they. And that the Spirit is essential to do what God is calling us to do. You know, tonight we're going to be looking at Acts 2, verses 22 and on. You know, this section shows that there are times that the Spirit gives us a platform to speak. And this passage also shows us what the foundation of our message should always be. So let's look at Acts 2, 22 through 24. This is Peter talking. You, are, you that are Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders, and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourself know. This man handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up, having freed him from death, because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. You know, at this moment... Peter has a very captivated audience. You know, a lot of people that are extremely interested in the abilities that Peter and his friends now have. You now, I believe that this is an undeniable spirit-given opportunity to speak into people's lives. The Spirit just gave the disciples and the people with them a dozen plus languages, so that so that they could speak directly into people's attention spans. Read through the first half of the chapter 2 of Acts. They'll just list all the different languages that these common fishermen were able to speak out of nowhere. And everybody's like, what is going on? The same thing is true for us today. The Spirit gives us platforms off of which to speak directly into people's minds. In thinking this through, it seems that it happens in at least two different forms. One is like Peter and his crew, through the amazing or supernatural. It could be because you were cured of stage four cancer. Or you had a baby after the doctors said it was impossible. Or you had a small business like Mon style that suddenly grew into a 25, 30 employee business in a short amount of time. Or you went from a full blown addict to a responsible citizen. Or you've been married 15, 20, 30 kids, had a bunch of 15, 20, 30 years, and you've had a bunch of kids and you still are obviously in love with one another. You know, when God allows us to go through these experiences, it catches people's attention. It makes them interested and wonder, how did that happen? You know, the other platform we are often given is when other people go through hard times that bring about negative consequences. Due to their experiences, they then see the need to seek help. When this happens in their lives, it's not uncommon for the Spirit to give us an opportunity to speak deeper truths into their lives. Let me give you a quick example. A buddy of mine through high school used to party, just had a really good time, a really close friend. Um, When I was kind of called away, late 20s, to go study the Bible in the mountains of North Carolina, this thought kept coming to my mind about him. I need to send him an email letting him know what happens to people that don't believe in Jesus when Jesus comes back. It was from 1 Thessalonians. And I fought against it, fought against it, finally sent him that email. You know, when we both happened to move back after my time in the woods to Rapid City and started catching up, and he just happened to go through a second or third DUI, right the type where he had to blow into a breathalyzer every 20 minutes while he was driving. And he was in a majorly hard spot because of this. And for some reason, he sought me out and asked me, man, Evan, what do I do? And we're given these opportunities. I know you have stories like these. So what do we do from this position? What do we say to people who are now listening to us? You know, from what we see in the second half of Acts 2, from the message that Peter delivers, the foundation of what we should always tell people is that it's all about Jesus. Let's read it again. Acts 2, 22 through 24. You that are Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Again, this is Peter. Everybody's interested in him. He's like, man, that fisherman, he's kind of brass, bulky. He was just speaking the language that I grew up speaking. What is up with that? And he's like, listen to me. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders, and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourself know. This man handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up, having freed him from death, because it was impossible for him to be held by its power." Instead of taking advantage of this opportunity to promote himself or some sort of deeper philosophical truth that he had discovered, he is simply a witness to the power of Jesus. Now, to better understand the gravity of what Peter is sharing, it helps to understand a little more of who he is or was. Now, during the days that Peter was with Jesus before his crucifixion, He seemed to be quite confident in himself and what he could do for the kingdom of God. Let's look at three verses that show this. Matthew 16. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great sufferings at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. I think about who Peter is. Peter said to him, to Jesus, Though all become deserters because of you, I will never desert you. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you this very night, before the cock crows you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even though I must die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Anybody that's been raised in the church knows what Peter did. Denied him three times. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back in the sheath. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? In these type of passages, we can see that Peter is a man who has his own agenda. He knows the way that things need to go in order for God's will to be done. And he is willing to do whatever he has to do to make them happen. Now, there's some value in the passion that Peter has for God, but it seems to be confidently entangled in his own ideas of how things should go. And we are definitely the same. We all struggle with that same issue of pride, thinking that we know what is best. You know, some of us are like Peter. We are built in a way that we have no problem sharing the truth that we confidently believe in. You know, maybe you're a little bit different, a little bit slower to speak. But you still have your own opinion and you believe it's true. Based on our education, desires, and experience, we all have beliefs of what is right. And those beliefs are confident stances on the best way to live. You know, we believe we know how to raise a kid, how to run a business, how somebody should spend their days off and their money, how they should decorate their house, right? And the list goes on and on based on everything that you have gone through and everything that you've learned and based on your personality type you have views of the best way to live and many if not all of those may be good but they can never bring about the depth and permanent change that this power of spirit the power of Jesus can You know, I'm sure Peter had learned a lot from his experience the three and a half years prior to that, especially when he hit rock bottom and denied Jesus three times. But the moment that he was given the opportunity to speak to his fellow countrymen, he instantly and only spoke of the power of Jesus. Now I know that feeling you're starting to feel, right? That nervous twitch is beginning, The idea of openly declaring to your family, your friends, your co workers, even strangers, that the God of the Bible is a solution of all problems is not a comfortable thing to do. You know, even as a pastor, I have that same sort of feeling. But something that is extremely important for me to always try to bring my mind back to is that what we believe about the God of the Bible is fact. It is not a story that was told to comfort people that lived 2,000 years ago and then slowly grew into a religion that can comfort the masses. Right? Like Peter said in verse 22, through deeds of power, wonders, and signs, Jesus proved that he was far more than a traveling teacher. He showed the people of his day that he had been sent by the creator of everything to do something spectacular. What made this undeniable is the fact that he was brutally killed and then brought back to life. Let's look at verse 23 again. This man handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up having freed him from death because it was impossible for him to be held by its power. And there are a lot of things that point to the validity of the Bible. The fact that it is true. Not mythology. But the cornerstone on which all biblical truth stands is Jesus' resurrection. That a man made of flesh and bone went to the grave, but because of his power, he was unable to be held down. That three days after his heart stopped beating, he was walking and talking living, and breathing amongst others. Now imagine if that happened during our day. Imagine what it would do to your perspective of that individual. It would fully overwhelm your logic and your heart, finding out that there was one who conquered the grave, which no one in all of human history has ever done. One who overcame every single person's logical end and most people's greatest fears, Not only did this individual do the impossible, he also wants you to experience the same. He wants to interact with every part of who you are so that you can overcome the broken nature of this world. Now imagine what you'd be thinking and feeling if you saw this on the local news or Facebook or Instagram, right? The way that we perceive what is reality, But because we read about this in a text that was written over 2,000 years ago, it is easy to to dismiss that this is not fact. We simply assume it's just a sweet story that we tell kids in Sunday school. But from what we see in Acts 2, this is uncontested reality. Let me prove this to you. This is really important to see. Two months after Jesus was crucified, while most likely standing in the temple, Peter openly declares to thousands of people that Jesus was raised from the dead. A lot of the people that were there probably were there during his crucifixion. Some were even instrumental in making it happen. To these people, Peter tells them that Jesus has conquered death. Not only does he tell them that, what, that he conquered death, he points to the fact that they saw it happen. Acts Acts 2.32 This Jesus, God raised up, and of that all of us are witnesses. If this had been a lie that the disciples had made up, this would have been the place where Christianity would have been obliterated. Any or all of these people could have denied that this is what happened, and Peter and his crew would have had to hang their heads and walk slowly home. But instead over 3,000 people were cut to the heart, repented, and baptized in the name of Jesus. Starts in verse 37. When they heard this, what Peter is just telling them, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, brother, what should we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, "Save yourself from this corrupt generation." So those who welcomed His message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. And I want to make my point crystal clear. Why would 3,000 first century Jews cry out to Jesus if he had not actually been brought back to life? He would have been simply seen as another revolutionary that met his match. But the fact that he conquered death fully sets him apart. It gives him the ability to bring life like no one or nothing else can. It makes him worth sharing to our family, to our friends, to our coworkers, even strangers. And when you are given that platform, the opportunity to speak deeper truths into somebody's life, don't waste your chance. Don't say simply, man, I don't know, must have been luck. Or let me point you to this book that I just picked up that's sure to make you happier. Instead, use this spirit-given opportunity to tell them about the only thing that can bring about genuine and lasting change. You know that friend of mine that got into that trouble with DUIs? He came to me and asked me, man, what do I do? Fresh out of Bible school, the first thing in front of my mind was, man, we got to study the Bible. So I got him and some other friends together in a small group where we just read through books of the Bible, Philippians, Ephesians, and I got to watch that kid's life change in a six-month period. had nothing to do with me. It was just him getting in the Word and learning about what the God of the Bible was all about. So let me give you an analogy. Maybe that's a better way for you to learn, right? I've shown you Bible. I've given you story. Let me give you an analogy. How many of you have tried a six-minute style workout? Eight-minute, right? Some of you have. How many of you have tried a diet that simply requires you to drink some sort of shake? Right? How did those work? Yep. We all desire to get in better shape, don't we? To lose weight, build muscle, have nicer bodies, right? That is what draws us to these workouts and these diets. We get to the point that we don't feel or look like we want to feel or we hear about somebody losing a massive amount of weight, right? There's a billboard on Jackson from 100 and whatever, 90 pounds to, right, in eight weeks. And so our attention is drawn to be physically transformed. But we want it quick, we want it easy, and we want it in a way that is in fad, so we grab a hold of what can do this momentarily. But the unchanging truth of getting healthy is simple. Eat good food and work out. Period. That's all a person has to do. Quick workouts and slam and slim fast can help, but they must be added to the foundation of eating healthy and working out. And there are so many good ideas on how to reduce stress, how to build stronger relationships, have more contentment, develop purpose and meaning, fight against addiction, these things that we all struggle with. If you look at the self-help aisle of a bookstore, it is full of book after book that promises to do these. But if we want anything that can last more than just a short season of our life, They must be built on Jesus and the truth that he brings. Only then will a person experience lasting change and enduring goodness in their lives. And when we have the ability like Peter to speak into a person's life, take them to the source of all that is good. Take them to Jesus. You know, as I wrap up, you may be wondering, like, how do I do that? I don't know the Bible well. I'm not good at arguing, presenting points. I'm not very verbose. And it's so much simpler than that. It's about sharing your story. The ways that Jesus, the God of the Bible, has impacted your life. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you have a story. It may or may not be awe-inspiring. But it is evidence that the God of the Bible is real, that he is good, and that he is extremely interactive with his creation. You know, I had a video to show you by one of our members named Jonathan. It will be on Facebook afterwards due to uh, some technical difficulties. But we all have these stories. Right? Ways that your life has been changed by the God of the Bible. When you are given a platform by the Spirit to speak truth into a person's life, the easiest and most natural way to do this is by simply sharing your story. Now, I know it's easy to dismiss the worth of our life, but the testimony, right, your testimony, at times has the ability to cause people to relate and connect to the God of the Bible and what he did for you and inspire them to seek him on their own you know as we saw in acts 2 a major part of life-giving change coming into a person's world is because the spirit is cutting their heart he's working within their minds and their emotions so it's not that your story has to be so well polished and crafted Right? It's about a God-given opportunity in which God is stirring the audience's mind and emotions to receive his truth. I hope this is making sense. If not, let me give you one more Bible verse. Revelation 12:11. This is one that has just kind of kept me in awe for a decade now. So he's talking about um, the dragon coming and just like Satan and all of his power. But it says, but they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They've conquered Satan. What's the blood of the Lamb? We know that. That's Jesus, right? The one who can redeem everything. And what's right alongside of the blood of the Lamb? and the word of their testimony. It shows you the power that our story has in the spiritual world. So tonight, I challenge you. Know your story. Spend time reflecting on different ways that God has directly interacted with your life. Man, we become so complacent about our moments of salvation to the point that we don't even think about them, don't even feel them. Right? But if you take time remembering, writing them out, I strongly encourage you. I used to be an English teacher. There's so much power in memory when you write something out. If you spend that time thinking through and writing out your stories, it will bring God's goodness to the forefront of your mind and give you a much better chance to take full advantage of the Spirit-given platform when it comes. Let's pray. Right now, I just want to ask God to bring those thoughts to our mind. God, Spirit, you're within all of us, some of us, whatever. You, you, you are here. I ask that you would bring your goodness back to our minds. Remind us of the times that you have been so gracious and so merciful. Times that you have stepped in to save our lives, to restore our relationships, to just push us back to what is true. Please, Spirit, fight against our ability to forget you and your goodness. Just bring these thoughts back to us. Allow them to flood into our night and throughout the rest of the week so that we can celebrate you personally and to the people that you put in front of us. God, you are our God, and so we surrender our minds to you right now. Amen.